Our scripture reading this evening will come from Psalm 41. You can find it on page 469. Please rise for the reading of God's holy word. To the choir master, a psalm of David. Blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. The Lord protects him and keeps him alive. He is called blessed in the land. You do not give him up to the will of his enemies. The Lord sustains him on his sickbed. In his illness, you restore him to full health. As for me, I said, O Lord, be gracious to me. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. My enemies say of me in malice, When will he die and his name perish? And when one comes to see me, he utters empty words while his heart gathers iniquity. When he goes out, he tells it abroad. All who hate me whisper together about me. They imagine the worst for me. They say a deadly thing is poured out on him. He will not rise again from where he lies. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. But you, O Lord, be gracious to me and raise me up that I may repay them. By this I know that you delight in me. My enemy will not shout and triumph over me, but you have upheld me because of my integrity and set me in your presence forever. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall stand forever and ever. Let's pray together. Oh God, we thank you for this truth, revealed truth from you. And we ask now, O oh Lord, would you mark it deep within our own hearts that we might rightly understand it and therefore faithfully apply it. And all for Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. You may be seated. If you have your Bible open, perhaps you are one of those people who continue to read even after the text in which you notice at the end of Psalm 41 is this phrase, book two. Book two of the Psalms. Maybe you didn't know anything about the Psalter as a whole. There are five books. They have a, a random collection or at least sometimes in our minds, we might consider it random. Book one is Psalm 1 through 41. Book two, 42 through 72. Book three, 73 through 80, uh, 89. And then book four is 89 to 90. And book five is 106 to 150. There are different rationales for why people have these different books. But what I want to draw your attention to is what you read at the very end of Psalm 41. David says, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. That's how he ends Psalm 41. It's also how he began Psalm 41. He said, blessed. He begins and ends with a blessing. Now, maybe you should ask the question, is that our understanding of this first book. You see, actually, if you were to take a close observation of the Psalter, the book of praises, 
which you will find at the end of each one of the books. You will find the first three books have the same exact end. Amen and amen, or blessed be the Lord. Amen and amen. You'll see at the end of book four, there is a praise be to the Lord. And then at the end of book five, you don't only just get a praise be to the Lord, you get an entire psalm focused on the undistracted praise of God. But when you think about Psalm 41 and you think about book one, is that how you would have ended this book? When you think of what David has been suggesting for some time, is that your theme? He's been complaining. There are a lot of problems in my life. There are a lot of problems around me. I have many enemies. I've been sick, perhaps almost to the point of death. I've been heartbroken, been deeply saddened by my life and by those who are around me. I've been betrayed. There's no one psalm that you can look at and not see David struggling with some sense of it. He has been betrayed in every sense of the word, and yet he finishes with, blessed be the Lord. Blessed be the Lord. What's his point? Could it simply be that no matter what happens in your life, God is still God. Jesus still reigns and he still rules in a good and righteous way. Perhaps it's the refrain that we often quote from Job. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. That's what David is saying here in the conclusion of this first book. There is a blessed life. We are to praise God, but while we are to praise God, we are to understand something about our life. There is a blessing to have. It's a blessed life. And I think he's going to say it by telling us we ought to consider three things. Our first thing, we'll look in the first three verses. We need to consider the poor. We need to consider the poor. David says, blessed, blessed is the one who considers the poor. Think about that for a moment. When we say that God is God and we are not, that God on high, who is high and lifted up, who is entirely altogether perfect and altogether different than you and I, he is righteous, he is good, he is all-powerful. He is, in fact, the king of kings and the power who gives power to those who are alive and lead in this world. If it's that God he's talking about, what does David also say? It's that God who is also the God of the poor. He's not just the God of the rich. He's not just the God of the wealthy, the influential, the stable, the status quo individual. No, our God is the God of all, including the poor. Now that Hebrew word there, dal, it means poor. It means weak. But when we understand its fullness of definition, yes, when it says poor, what is it referring to? Well, multiple things. There is at least a reference to say the poor, those who cannot provide for themselves, 
They do not have proper financial resources to give to themselves food or clothing or shelter. They lack the basic human necessities of life. There's a poorness about this person. They are without and they need help. But that's not the only viewpoint of what that Hebrew word suggests. It's not just poor financially. It's poor, meaning you are vulnerable. You are in great need, not just financially. You're weak. You're needy. You're lost. You're unable to meet many of your needs. How do we define or understand poor? It's that person that if you give something to them, they will not be able to repay you. It's poor. It's also the people that we tend to ignore the quickest, aren't they? You know, I heard this story in seminary from one of my professors. Uh, Many of you parents probably have something similar, at least in your children. My children love to let me know how I'm doing in my driving, uh, one way or another, good or bad. Well, my professor was sharing about his son. He had also been a pastor, and he had preached a sermon. I don't recall the text in which he was preaching on, but it had something to the effect of you need to care for people who can't care for themselves. And so he and his son were on the way home. His son's in the back seat and they drive around a corner and there's a gentleman with a sign that says, help, I need help. And he kept driving to which his son replied, hey dad, didn't you just preach saying we need to help people who say they need help? Now I don't know how you would respond to your child I have some thoughts of my own, but he said, well, we'll drive around the block. And if he's there, we'll, we'll find a way to help him. And so they drove right back around and sure enough, he was still there. My professor didn't have any resources on him at the time. And so he asked the gentleman, what do you need? I appreciated this guy's response. He said, I need shoes. And so my professor gave his shoes to which he had to respond to his wife when he walked in the door, why are you without shoes? And that was another example of we care for people who need to be helped. He looked at the poor. He knew this man not, and he knew that he wasn't going to be able to repay him. And yet his son reminded him, we help people who cannot help themselves. And David is saying, consider the poor. They lack ability to help themselves more than just financially. A poor person can be one who is downcast in soul. They're poor in spirit. They're discouraged. They're in despair. They know not the light of the countenance of the glory of God. They are, in fact, without and are in desperate need. The poor might be a neglected person, In your church, in your family, in your neighborhood, poor, they're vulnerable, they're lost, and they're needy. And David says, blessed be, or blessed is, the one who considers the poor. Now that term consider needs a little bit of help. What does it mean when David says consider? It's not a 
compassionate term in which it just says, you know, if I, if I throw a few dollars at you, it'll make me feel better. No, the word consider here is meant to tell you it's a wisdom word. It's an intellectual word. It's a reflective word. You are meant to actually consider the circumstance, the state in which you find someone or yourself and know therefore how to respond. And so David is saying, blessed is the one who reflects, who shows wisdom, who considers how is it that I am to treat this person? How do I respond I have considered you, and therefore, this is what I can do. It's a manner in which you're trying to say, it's not about how it will make me feel. A selfless deed, as you were. Some of you are right around that age where you grew up in the 90s and you love that show. Friends, if you didn't love that show, we need to talk afterwards. But friends, there's an episode in which two of the characters are in a conversation One of them says that she did this deed, it was a selfless deed, to which one of the other characters said, there's no such thing as a selfless deed. She said, that that can't be true. And so the point of the episode is her trying to demonstrate her efforts to do something selfless, to which at the very end, she says, I let a bee sting me, and I didn't do anything. And of course, you've seen that episode, and he says, the bee died. That was not selfless. Well, what is his point? His point is we can't do selfless deeds because we're always considering ourselves. But is it possible, in fact, to do a selfless deed? In Christ, the answer is yes, because we consider not ourselves, but we consider someone else. We consider not merely their circumstance, but them, their person. And when you consider the poor, it will lead to righteous actions. And what do I mean by that? There will be times in which a consideration will mean that you do something. Perhaps you go take someone to get a meal. Perhaps you stay a little longer in a conversation, or you stay up late, or you offer some other form of material possession. But there's also a consideration in which you don't do anything. We do not want to reward or enable laziness. And so part of consideration is to say, what is best for you? How are you to understand what God would want for you? And David is saying, blessed is the one who considers the poor. Now, I think he's got a double meaning there. And what do I mean by that? He's saying, this is to encourage you, Danny, and this is to encourage the rest of us. If you will, in fact, try it out, consider the poor, you will be blessed. I also think he's saying, if that is you and you are considering the poor, there is a blessing, and that is that you have been considered by God. I think he's offering to us a form of this is the blessed life when we think of others more highly than we think of ourselves. And he answers it, doesn't he? He says that God will bless you. And he gives you seven different ways in which God answers. Did you see him? God delivers, God protects, he keeps, he blesses him in the land, God spares from the enemy, God sustains, God restores. Now, perhaps you're trained to think, I heard the number seven and it must mean something. Perhaps, but I think what David is actually suggesting here is he's showing you how much God cares for you. He's moving from a very generalized blessing God protects to a very individualized care plan. God restores you 
to health. Have you thought about that for your own life? That when the scriptures say that God loves you, it doesn't mean just a general love. I just love everybody. No, he loves you. He knows you. He cares about you. And he loves you individually to the degree in which you need to be loved. And so I think David is saying part of the blessing when we consider the poor is to recognize how God considers us. And it's not a generalized, you are a person, it's your unique person. He knows you and he cares about you. I think he's driving home a point. Part of the blessed life is that we are to consider the poor. But I think we're also supposed to consider something else. We don't just consider the poor, we consider the other poor person. What do I mean by that? There's another poor person in this psalm. Many people will try to connect Psalm 41 and Psalm 40. And the reason for that is because you can see in verse one, he says, blessed is the one who considers the poor. But if you draw back into verse 17 in Psalm 40, what do you read? David says, as for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. David recognizes the other poor person is him. I am poor. I am that vulnerable, weak, and cannot provide for myself person. I am the poor person. Some people might say that uh, Matthew chapter five, verse seven, it's a summary statement of this entire psalm. That is a beatitude in which Jesus says what? Blessed are the merciful for they will be shown or they will receive mercy. It's a big deal, isn't it? As a side note, I would say to you, if you're listening to what David is saying, it means you never listen to any pastor Christian leader, Bible teacher, or Joe off the street who tells you, you come to Christ and your life is easier. You come to Jesus and things just go well for you. David is saying, I am a very poor and needy person and I love my God. I'm poor and I'm needy. And he gets to verse four and he's no longer being general. You don't have to speculate. What is David suggesting? Who is this poor person? What does he say? As for me, as for me, as for David, I'm saying, Lord, be gracious to me. Be gracious to me. Heal me. I've sinned against you. I'm this poor person. And he's going to take several verses here and he's going to outline his own personal poverty. Let me explain how poor of a person I really am. As the king of Israel, let me show you my poverty. Verse five, my enemies say of me in malice, when will he die and his name perish? That doesn't sound kind, it's not kind, but don't read that too quickly. What are they suggesting? Not only do they want to remove David from this life, they want to remove his name. Consider the context, the significance of name or lineage or last name in the Old Testament. 
Isn't that what Abram challenges God with after God gives him a covenant? How will this happen? I have no descendants. My name will not carry on. And of course, God provides. How about a leveret marriage in which they're asking the question, what happens if a man and a woman are married and she does not conceive and he dies? What's to happen of his name? God provides an entire rule, a law on how to provide for that name. Or in Numbers chapter 36, the daughters of Zolephad. He has died, he's gone. There's five of them. There's a land of inheritance. They don't know what to do because they're concerned. If we marry, what will happen of my father's land and of his inheritance? And so God has to provide a way to say, marry here, and it stays here. The name matters And David is saying, these people want to get rid of me. I'm poor. And then he goes on to say, and when one comes to see me, he utters empty words. While his heart gathers iniquity, when he goes out, he tells it abroad. I've got false friends. People who say to my face, we're good friends. And as soon as he leaves, he gossips about me. He utters words of flattery, but yet says something altogether different behind my back. They want the worst for me. Whatever's overtaken me, he's not going to rise from it. He's been betrayed even by a close friend, one whom has eaten my bread. In that context, an intimate meal, as it were. I've let them into my house. We have enjoyed fellowship And they have gone against me. I am sick. In fact, actually, what it's translated there, it's it's a sickness that is to bring me to ruin. It's to destroy me. And yet more than all of that, he acknowledges what? I have sinned against you, O Lord. Be gracious to me. I have sinned against you, It is though David is considering this blessed life and that truth is beginning to sink in. That's not me. I am that other poor person. I have tried to show mercy to those who need mercy. But whom will show me mercy? How will I receive mercy Derek Kidner says, David's position is all the weaker for his bad conscience, but he will get more mercy from God whom he has wronged than from his friend he has helped. This is where David is. He's recognizing his own poverty. I have transgressed God. You ever felt that way? When you think about your own life, you have enemies, people who don't like you, People who don't agree with you, don't want what you want, don't agree with what you've done. You have false friends. You ever been sick and you're wondering, will this ever go away? And have you ever come to the point in which you go, I've also sinned against God. All these things are happening and I've also sinned against God. What do I do? Before the Holy One, I have sinned and fallen short 
of the glory of God. You see, David has written Psalms before, hasn't he? And he has said there is problems, but I am innocent of those problems. David is not saying he's innocent at all. He is saying I am extremely poor. I am very needy. And he can say, blessed is the one who considers the poor because I think he's tapping into something. He's beginning, I think, to connect some dots. I have been poor, or I have considered the poor. Surely God will show mercy to me. How much more might God be merciful to me if I have been merciful to someone else? He's not doing a tit-for-tat thing here. He's not saying, because I've done this, God will do that. Actually, what he is suggesting is, I depend on mercy. As much as I have been able to give mercy, I am all the more dependent upon it. I know if I can show mercy and God is infinitely greater than I am, how much more can the mercy of God be shown to me, a sinner? God is merciful. And I think what David is doing quite artistically here is he's bookending the entire first book. Psalm 1 begins with a blessing. Blessed is the man. And if you wanted to read it, what is David suggesting in Psalm 1? There is a blessing for all who have been made right with God. And perhaps we could summarize this one and say, there's also a blessing for those who have been made right with their neighbor. What is David saying? I have been saved so I can serve. Saved people can be a servant people because you have every reason to serve. You have been saved as a poor person. Therefore, you can offer your service to others. I can consider the poor because this poor person has been considered by God himself. And so I think David says you need to consider the poor. You also need to consider the other poor person. And then David's going to leave that plea for mercy and he's going to find himself in a position of confidence, of certainty. He's saying, I I know that you delight in me. And where does the delight of God land David? In the presence of God forever. When God delights in you, where does it land you? in the presence of God forever. David knows exactly what that means. He knows that I can't waltz in there because I am sinful and God hates sin. He knows that what his sin earns is death. Who can ascend the hill of God, the holy hill of God? Nobody. And yet David is able to say, somehow we'll be in the presence of God forever. How? Can he say such a thing? Because he trusts in the promise of God that his sin will be covered and atoned for. Because you don't just consider the poor. And you don't just consider the other poor person. You consider the poorest person. And that is Jesus. You consider the poorest person. And that is Jesus Now, when I speak of the poverty of Christ, I'm not saying that Christ is vulnerable and that he lacks an inability. No, the poverty of Christ is not in what he didn't have, it's in what he gave. Paul tells us that what? Christ became poor. 
Christ became poor so that you and I might be rich. We might be wealthy. Christ's poorness is in all of what he has given for you and for me. He has become the poorest of poor. And how do you know that? You remember that story, don't you, with Jesus and the disciples on the way to Emmaus or the road to Emmaus. And what is he telling them? He opens the Bible and he says, let me show you that every bit of the scriptures testify about me. Then that means we have to ask this question. How does Psalm 41 testify to Christ? How do we understand Jesus in this psalm? It's actually not hard, is it? Because when you see David outline his own poverty, do you not see the ministry of Christ? Who is it that said, blessed be the merciful, for they will receive mercy? Jesus. Who was it that went to the downcast and the outcast, the sick, the sinful, the hated, the losers, the ones who were never allowed in, Jesus, who decided to sit at tables with such people? Jesus, you see, Jesus' entire ministry was focused on the poor, not financially so, but those who are vulnerable, who are weak, who are lost, who are needy. It was Jesus who went after the sheep, even lost sheep. You see the ministry of Christ, don't you? You don't just see the ministry of Christ. Don't you see the life of Christ? Who gets to say, my enemies shall say of me, when he dies, his name perish? Does Christ not know that? Is this not Jesus, the one who does a miracle in Mark's gospel, and upon doing a miracle, the Pharisees, what, plot to destroy him? Rid the world of the name of Christ. False friends, does Jesus not know anything about false friends? Was it not John who told us that Jesus would not entrust himself to people because he knew their hearts? Or the feeding of the 5,000 in John's gospel, what do you read as soon as he's done with this miracle? What does he tell the people? You need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And what happens? This large crowd in which he has just provided all of their daily needs for, run. The 5,000 friends of Jesus leave immediately. Does Jesus not know about false friends? Can Jesus not say, I was betrayed by a close friend? You know, the language there in verse 9, it's a little strange, isn't it? Even my close friend in whom I trusted who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. There seems to be debate as to what does that mean? What does it mean that the heel was lifted against him? I don't technically know, but you can read of one other person where this comes into play, Jacob and Esau. And what do you find out? Jacob was a little sneaky, wasn't he? He went around the back of Esau to get a blessing Now, what is most interesting about this verse is it's actually quoted in the New Testament. John quotes this verse in chapter 13, verse 18. And who is he quoting it with? He's quoting it with Judas. 
this heel that demonstrated a sneakiness to receive a blessing? Was that not Judas? Did he not lift up his heel against Christ, sneaky in the darkness, to go and receive silver for the whole entirety life of Christ? It matters not to me, but I just want a few pieces of silver. Was he not sneaky? And you don't even have to agree with me on that because it wasn't just Judas who left Christ. It wasn't just Peter who left Christ. You read your Bible, who left Christ? All of them. All of them. Can Jesus not look in Psalm 41 and say, I understand what it means to be poor. I've had my entirety in my ministry in my life go in front of my eyes and many of them abandon me. Leave. Want nothing to do with me. And yet what does Jesus do? Recognizing that all have left. Does he stop and say, I'll go home too? No. He goes to the poor. He goes to the cross. And he says, I love you. And I've considered your poverty. I've come not for the healthy. I came for sick people. I didn't come for righteous people. I came for sinners. And David understands that. When he says in verse four, O Lord, be gracious to me and heal me, the, the translation there is actually heal my soul. Heal every bit of me, body and soul. I need an entire healing. I need new life. And is that not what Jesus did for you and for me? He grants healing, body and soul, by giving up his own. He's the poorest person. He became poor that we might become rich. I don't know about you, but I need that truth to sink a little bit deeper into my own heart. I need the truth that the wealthiness of Christ was given entirely that my poverty might be answered. What do people who receive mercy do? In the simple terms, they evangelize. When you recognize the mercy that you have received in the gospel, you can't help but tell someone else. People who have received mercy are dispensers of it. When you understand what was done for you, you can't help but show that to others. Yes, I think there's a, a command and a call to obedience and what it means to be a witness for Christ and evangelize. I'm not here to tell you, obey God tonight. I do want you to obey him, but I want you to understand if you can't tell others, I'm not quite certain you've recognized the mercy that you have received. When you recognize the layers and layers and layers of mercy, you will live differently. You can't help it because you've taken a close look in the mirror and you know who it was that Christ died for. You will point people to the Savior and you'll be just like David. I was saved so I can serve. I was saved so I can serve. 
That's what this table represents. Just a few moments time, we'll come to it. It's a picture of mercy. It's not just the picture of salvation. It shows you what service was done for you. And it also gives you a picture of how you are to serve for others. You push them to Jesus. Let me pray to that end. Our God and our Father, we thank you that when you look down upon us in our lowliest state, you did not point and laugh, you did not tell us to correct and, and, and fix or work harder. No, your word says that you stooped down from the heavens and you came down to earth. And you have given us such truth that when we begin to consider the poor, we can't help but remember and come to face with that we are poor people. And when we recognize how poor we are, we recognize what Christ gave, what poverty he took upon himself, that we might be rich. Help us this night that we would feast and feed on Christ alone, being those who serve because we've been saved. And all for Jesus' sake we pray it. Amen.